past week. But here I am, and this message will be preached. Uh, now, if Satan can't get to the preacher, he's going to try to get to the listeners. And so, if there's anything that's on your mind right now that is troubling you, that is maybe distracting you this morning, I just let's just pray right now that the Holy Spirit would uh, just give, you, give your mind peace, give your heart peace regarding those things uh, for the next half hour or so. And um, so that the word might be received as well. Father, we come to you. Your gospel is powerful. Your word is living. It is powerful. Right now, Father, we know that um, Satan doesn't want your word preached. Father, would you, would you just come and bind the enemy? Take him away from our midst. Take away all distractions. Holy Spirit, would you just be at work within us to be able to soften our hearts, open up our hearts to receive your word this morning? Be with me as I speak. I pray that these would be your words. This is your word, the Holy Bible, and these are your people. And Father, we just pray um, that we would receive from you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. John 3.16 is going to be our text this morning that can be found on page 888. We're going to flip back and forth between John 3 and John chapter 1, so if you want to put a bookmark in chapter 1, that'll make it easy just to slip back there when we get to, the, get to those uh, sections. We've just come out of the Christmas holiday. Each year, it is the time we have set aside to enjoy friends and family, holiday cooking, and the giving and receiving of gifts from one another. But we are not wrong for calling ourselves and others to remember the reason for the season, which is the coming of our Savior and God, Jesus Christ, who was born of a virgin over 2,000 years ago. We know that he is the greatest gift of all, and we celebrate his birth with the Christmas holiday. Today it is my hope and joy to lead us in continuing to think about the coming of our Savior and God through the gospel message found in John 3.16, which will be our text this morning. As usual, I will not have enough time to say all that I would like to say, or else you might be here until next year. But I hope this passage will encourage and strengthen you this morning if you have received our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, as your own. If you have not yet made that decision, it is my hope that this passage will draw you to him for salvation. John states that this gospel is written so that we may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing we may have life in his name. 
I echo this statement this morning in my hope for you. John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. You could, and some preachers do, approach this verse one word at a time and dive into the meaning and significance of each and every word as it pertains to the message of the gospel found in John 3.16. For instance, you could take God and study to great depths the character of our holy and righteous God who is the creator, sustainer, and judge over all the world and yet who is also love. You could dive into the word love, world, gave, son, whoever, belief, perish, eternal, and life. And it would be a fascinating study and a profitable study. However, this morning, I will take a different approach. First, we will look at the phrase, for God so loved the world. Who is this God? Who is the world? And what caused God to display this divine affection? Second, we will see the way that God loved the world, namely, that he gave his only son. And third, why does this all matter? And how should we respond? We'll see that in the phrase that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. So let's begin with that first phrase, for God so loved the world. Our God is a holy and righteous God. Nothing that God does or ever has done is out of step with his holy nature. Consider what James says in James 1, 13 through 17. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. For each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. There is no sin with God. And because of his holy nature, he cannot bear to have sin in his presence but must punish sin with the punishment that is in accordance to his holy nature. And yet, we also read in 1 John 4, 8 and 9, that God is love. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. Isn't it fascinating 
that we read in the Bible that the plan of salvation was made before the foundation of the world. Before all creation, the Father had planned to redeem for himself out of the world a people for, for himself through the death of his Son. Knowing what sins we'd commit and the terrible price of our redemption, God still chose to create us. All through the Old Testament, over and over again, we see covenants and accounts pointing forward to a coming deliverer who would save his people from their sins and create in them a new heart for God. The gospel begins with God because God is the one who initiates the gospel. There was nothing in us that should compel or obligate God to pay the price for our redemption through the death of his son. When John writes that God so loved the world, he means by world all of mankind. This is the same world that the scriptures record the following. John chapter 7, verse 7. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify about it that its works are evil. John 15, 18. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. And James 4, 4. You adulterous people, Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Consider those verses when you read the first part of John 3, 16, and let the reality of those verses sink in. For God so loved the world a world that hates Jesus, the Son of God, a world that is in violent opposition against God. This is the world to whom God has demonstrated his love. For while we, brothers and sisters, while we were enemies of God, he reconciled us to himself by the death of his Son, according to Romans 5.10. Let's continue on. that he gave his only son. First, let's consider who the son is. Some looking at this verse from outside of a Christian upbringing might stumble at this point. How did God have a son? Is it like the Mormons say? that God had relations with a goddess or something and produced a son through that union, or as some others say, that he had relations with Mary and had a son in that way. We might be tempted to smirk and scoff at these questions, but these are genuine questions that some people have. John helped us out in the first chapter of the Gospel of John. Let's take a moment to look there. John 1, 1 through 3. And verse 14. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. 
He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. In the opening verses of this book, we read that the word was in the beginning, not that he began in the beginning, but that he was already there. The word was with God, and the word was God. These verses speak to the fact that Jesus is no ordinary person. As God, he has no beginning, he has no end, he always is and forever will be. He is the second person of the triune God, the Son of God. And as verse 14 says, the Word, the Son of God, God Himself became flesh and dwelt among us. Emmanuel, God with us. God the Father gave His only Son in two ways, and we see both ways in the surrounding verses of John 3.16. First, God sent his son into the world. Look with me at verse 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. The father sends his son into the world, this God-hating, God-despising world. For 33 years, Jesus lived among us, teaching us grace and truth, displaying the love and the holiness of God, showing over and over again through his life and teaching that he is the way, the truth, and the life, that no one comes to the Father except through him, John 14, 6. That to know the Son is to know the Father, John 8, 19. And that if you do not know him, you cannot know God. For there is no one else through whom salvation exists. There is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. No other name but the name of Jesus. Acts chapter 4, verse 12. And secondly, God gave his son up to suffer the totality of the wrath of God against all our sin. All of your sin in your place on the cross. John 3, 14 and 15. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the son of man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Lifted up how? Lifted up on a cross. The most barbaric form of torture and execution reserved for the worst of the worst of criminals. If Kodak had existed at that time and someone, someone were to take a picture of Jesus hanging on the cross, it would be a picture so horrific, so terrifying because of, because of its brutality, it's not one that we would hang up on our living room walls. 
Imagine with me for a, a moment a father. Many of you are fathers, and many of you have young children. Imagine sitting down with your son and saying to him, Child, yes, Papa, I have enemies who hate us that are about to die. I want you to go and die in their place and take the death that was meant for them so that they might be saved. That's exactly what God the Father did for you. And the Son laid down his life for you. that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. We come to the final phrase of our text. The whoever means whoever in the ocean of the world that will believe. But what does it mean to believe? Because this is it. Do you want to escape the wrath of God? You must believe. It's more than a prayer. It's more than an agreement to historical facts. It's even more than calling him Lord. Consider that frightening passage which reads in Matthew's Gospel in which Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. So what does John mean exactly when he says, whoever believes in him? Let's turn back to John chapter 1. Consider with me chapter 1, verses 12 and 13. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. Jesus is not like a plumber that arrives at your house to work in the basement and you leave him down there, paying him no attention, <clears throat> and sometimes even forgetting that he's there. Jesus isn't a get-out-of-hell-free card that you hold in your back pocket to redeem for admittance at the gates of heaven. 
To believe in Jesus is to receive him for who he is. He is the eternal God. He is God, judge, creator, Yahweh, Lord, the most high God, Adonai, master, the God who provides the peacemaker, the Lord that heals, the Lord my banner, the jealous God, the one who sanctifies, the one who makes holy, the captain of the host of the Lord, the rock of our salvation, the redeemer, the forsaken, the one who restores, our rock and our fortress, the lily of the valley, the chiefest among 10,000. He is holy, holy, holy. He is as rivers in a dry place, the Lamb of God, the Lion of Judah, the Great Shepherd, the Alpha and Omega. And will you leave him in the basement? You see, the gospel is more than about escaping hell. It will change your life. When you receive Jesus for who he is, when you truly believe in the name of Jesus, your heart of stone is made new. And you are made alive in him. Jesus is not a ticket out of hell. He is the way into the family of God where you will never perish. Isn't it interesting that John does not say, or rather that John says that Jesus wasn't sent into the world to condemn the world. Why is that? Because the world is already condemned. Consider with me verses 18 and verse 36 of John chapter 3. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Verse 36. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. The unbeliever is not in danger of being condemned. The unbeliever is already condemned, is already under the wrath of God. The pastor and theologian Jonathan Edwards has a firm grasp on the wrath of God toward unbelievers when he writes in his famous sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. 
The bow of God's wrath is bent, and the arrow made ready on the string, and justice bends the arrow at your heart and strains the bow. And it is nothing but the mere pleasure of God and that of an angry God, without any promise or obligation at all, that keeps the arrow one moment from being made drunk with your blood. Thus all of you that never passed under a great change of heart by the mighty power of the Spirit of God upon your souls, all you that were never born again and made new, <clears throat> made new creatures and raised from being dead in sin to a state of new and before altogether unexperienced light and life are in the hands of an angry God. However, you may have reformed your life in many things and may have made religious affections and may keep up a form of religion in your families and closets and in the house of God, it is nothing but his mere pleasure that keeps you from being this moment swallowed up in everlasting destruction. However unconvinced you may now be of the truth of what you hear, by and by you will be fully convinced of it. Those that are gone from being in the like circumstances with you see that it was so with them. For destruction came suddenly upon most of them. When they expected nothing of it, and while they were saying peace and safety, now they see that those things on which they depended for peace and safety were nothing but thin air and empty shadows. But those who believe have eternal life. And what is eternal life but to be made alive, to be brought into the father-child relationship with the holy God who has demonstrated his love toward us through giving his only son. That moment you believe there is a double transaction that takes place. First, your sins, no matter how small or how great, are placed upon him. And on that day he suffered and died on the cross, he suffered the full weight of God's wrath against you because of your sin. And second, the perfect righteousness of God the Son is given to you, and you are forgiven and declared forever righteous in the presence of God. And more than this, you are made a child, a child of God. But now there is a choice to be made. Because the death of Christ is not effective for everyone. Because not everyone will choose to believe in the name of the only Son of God. Not everyone will receive Jesus for who he is. Keep in mind that Jesus was speaking to a religious leader in John chapter 3 who still needed to receive salvation. A Pharisee who was an expert on the scriptures. I recall an instance at Bible college when at the end of my year there, one of my dorm mates met with a group of men to receive Jesus as his savior. He was a young man studying, already studying to go into the ministry who had never before received Jesus as his Lord and savior. If that is you this morning, if you have attended church all of your life and yet never truly believed in Jesus as Lord and Savior, 
never truly received him for all that he is. Perhaps the Holy Spirit is urging you this morning. Do not ignore that. But seek out either me or any of the elders or Pastor Sean this morning that we might share with you further on how you can become a child of God. It would be our humble joy to do that and to pray with you. For those of us who have received Jesus as our Savior, may we continue growing in our relationship with him, always learning more and more about who he is, that we might grow in our relationship with him. Also, may we not be afraid to share the gospel message with those around us who are not believers. Let us not be ashamed of the gospel that has brought us from darkness to light and into the family of God. Let's pray. Father, we, we thank you for sending your son to die on the cross for our sins. It is my prayer that if there is anyone in this room this morning that has not yet trusted in Jesus as their savior, have not yet received him, and your great love which you have poured out for them, may this morning be that morning in which they become part of your family. Bless our time together in Jesus' name, amen.